Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So with myself and Toby today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Blundell, the Head of Improvement Analytics Unit at NHS England and Improvement. Uh, I believe, Sarah, you mentioned it was a joint uh, team that you're managing there, is that right, between yeah. yourself? Health Foundation. Yeah. It is, yes. It's a joint evaluation team looking at sort of service and um, service interventions, and we do a rapid evaluation to sort of support that work. And I think you mentioned earlier was it you started off doing was it the reviews or evaluations of the Vanguard models of care? Yes, we did. Yeah. That was sort of the early work, and now we've moved on to sort of doing um, sort of some of the bigger national programs around um, like digital first primary care, for example. And uh, one of the new oh. ones we've taken on is the COVID oximetry at home evaluation work as well. So that's sort of, you know, longer standing pieces of work as well as then responding to more, you know, timely pieces. Exciting. So, so welcome. Really, you can join us both on Fika. And probably on to the most important question we will start with with people that join us is, uh, you know, Fika is coffee and a cake with uh, friends. Are you a coffee or, or, or a tea person? I don't actually drink either tea or coffee. <laughs> really strange. I'm a water drinker. Okay. I occasionally have a hot chocolate, but that'll be about it. You're, you're in my club, Sarah, because I am definitely in the hot chocolate bracket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're the trend. <laughs> Great. So, uh, you know, for for our listeners uh, on the podcast, I'd be really keen to hear. I mean, you you had a really interesting career today. Would you be able to sort of give us an outline of where you kind of started and how you ended up in in the position you're in at the moment? Be really good to sort of hear that. Absolutely, because I'm I'm, I sort of belong to that cohort of people that didn't intend to be in data and analytics when they first started. I mean, I, I went to university like so many people do. Um, I did um, social policy, which is sort of the politics and economics of the British welfare state, I think is as good a summary of it. And I sort of came out of that knowing I wanted to work in like government in some way. Um, But, you know, I'd done a placement year and I had a really good placement with the audit commission and they offered me a job when I graduated. And so I was sort of going in that direction, more of, you know, audit and assurance rather than, you know, doing data and analysis. Um, but I found very quickly that accountancy and me, we weren't a match made in heaven and that actually the type of work I really enjoyed and the type of clients I like working with the most were the health service clients. And I found that sort of this idea of sort of the health service values of it really fit very well with my own. And so therefore I was sort of went right now, I'm, I'm going to take a, a real change in career, going to move off that graduate track. And um, I'm going to um, restart within the NHS. And I did. I took a massive pay cut and basically started working in an acute trust. You, you said you were doing some work, I think, wasn't it, the theatre efficiency systems? And, and, yeah, uh, that was sort of my, yeah. my very first role. It was really strange. It's a 12-month contract and uh, basically coming in and, you know, <laughs> 
sort of evaluating uh, the theatre performance and how efficient they were and looking at restructuring lists and how they can structure some of the the time to make it more efficient with patients coming through the system. Um, and I was sort of there to evaluate this new, um, you know, computer system that they'd put in and how it was being used. I thought that was my baptism of fire, I think, for the NHS, learning very, very quickly that they'll bring you in to do one thing. But if you show aptitude and enthusiasm, they will find many, many other ways in which to use you. Um, and sort of, you know, it's sort of my love affair with the NHS really started there, I would say. I think just to add to that, um, my experience with the NHS has been quite similar in that once you get in, they almost adopt you. Yes. And you always find um, a fit somewhere. You always find the fit somewhere. Absolutely. And, and as soon as I sort of started, it was like I wanted to learn as much about this very diverse working environment you know you know an acute hospital again is a very 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 particular ecosystem and similarly I then went to work uh, um, went and worked in mental health for for just shy of a year sort of learn what mental health trusts operated like and again they operate very differently and sort of from that you know opportunity and working in a sort of shared data and analysis service down in the mental health trust working with other areas I sort of discovered public health and then that became my passion for quite a few numbers of years quite a few years I sort of went and worked in uh, public health observatories which were the early sort of regional hubs of what is now public health England and that was I learned so much there I was working with some absolutely brilliant people who really you know sort of challenged me to uh, up my game really and to really stretch myself and thanks to them and the opportunities I got there it sort of meant that I started moving up into leadership roles and then went off to head my own um, information team in a PCT. So I've sort of moved from provider over to sort of, you know, more academic environment to then moving into sort of commissioning. Uh, and of course, I was there in commissioning for until um, public health then decided to move into local authority. And I sort of did the caretaker role for that, moving the team over. But I wanted to stay in the NHS. And so when I had the opportunity to join NHS England back when it was formed in 2013, my goodness, seven years I've been working here. Um, I took that opportunity with both hands working at first at regional level uh, across Midlands and the east of England and then moving up to to really start tackling some of the, the national issues um, because I felt there I could really make as much impact as as you know as the sky was the limit really you know if you want to get involved people will happily welcome you in so <laughs> that was brilliant that was fascinating and as toby said you know they'll, they'll adopt you but you also mentioned as well that you know you know up in your game and and as you come in you said there's lots of real work sort of real life experience that you get in the NHS and you learn the practical skills of doing the job. But you also, I think when we spoke last time, made a really good point that said that you probably lose kind of some of the art of the possible and don't necessarily experiment yeah. enough. And you, I think, I believe you went back to school, didn't you, sharp and sore? I, I did. Yeah. Three years ago uh, yeah. now, uh, well, just over three years ago, I suppose, um, I had an opportunity to basically go back part-time. Yeah. Um, and I think type of thing, studying part-time and working full-time brings its own challenges of, of really testing your time management skills. But I think there was something there around, you know, as I said, you, you develop all these fantastic skills on the job, but you get very um, 
focus then on the what pra- what's practical, what works, what's the most timely way to deliver something. So sometimes you then lose that. But if you had the ability to innovate and the time and had that sort of awareness raising, you then have the, well, actually, if we did it this way, it might take some more time up front. But actually, it, the long-term benefits of changing practice, of moving to a more automated approach, of thinking of the art of the possible has massive, massive benefits, not just for you as an individual, but also the knock-on benefits of, you know, you're encouraging people to innovate and be creative. And I think that's the thing. You know, I, I did a really interesting master's. I did it over three years because it was built for people who have already got healthcare experience. I was doing this master's from pe- with people from all over the world. I, I did the master's with someone who implemented the outpatient system in Jordan, uh, people from Malaysia, doctors, you know, from the Netherlands and from Nigeria, lots of people who've come from a public health background. So it really opened your eyes to how other countries' health systems work. And so it provides that element of challenge into the NHS way of thinking, which I found was really, really useful, as well as having that, you know, bringing in that academic rigour that I think because we're so focused on um, doing the job and doing it well, but having to move on quickly, we often lose that, the important element of taking a step back and evaluating And I think as a result of doing the master's work, that then led me on to my current role, which is where I'm heading up an evaluation team, because it's really lit a fire from a perspective of actually a lot of my role and a lot of my work within this team is also about building capability within the system, not just doing the evaluation, but spreading the message of why evaluation is so important, as well as helping to build the capability of within the system of some of the methodologies that we use within my current team. Right, so it really set you on a new direction, didn't it, I suppose? Absolutely. Yeah. There's very much this idea of, you've got so much knowledge and experience within the NHS, but so much of it isn't necessarily captured and shared yeah. properly. And if we were able to sort of, you know, really make efforts with that and, and, and make it easy for people to do it. And I think that's the thing, you know, everyone, and, and I think COVID has emphasised this significantly, that, um, you know, we've always been under time pressure. It's always been really difficult for people to learn new time, learn new skills. Um, there's always in the past been a challenge of actually, I want to go off and learn a new coding language because it really will help me sort of innovate in my current practice. But if I've got to go and take a week off of work, that's going to be really difficult. And I think combine that, combine the new insight that got from my thing, combine it with something around, you know, I've always had a passion for lifelong learning, Uh, you know, the experience it had for me going through that and how it, you know, changed how I approach my work. I wanted to try and make it easy for people to learn on the job. And I think that's where sort of the current work that I've really picked up on a voluntary basis on top of what I'm doing has been around, you know, sort of moving into this new areas of work around making it easy for people to access on-demand learning. And that's sort of what I've been picking up on on a voluntary basis within NHS England as part of the collaboration support for COVID-19. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And sorry, you know, I think you're you're kind of you embody kind of the work around you know developing analysts as a profession, 
and we said before, you know, the path isn't always clear to people. Uh, each route is very, very different for everybody that, that sort of enters the sort of the discipline and such. But would you be able to share with our listeners? I think you're doing some really two big work streams, two exciting work streams. One on, I think, there's a learning paths and the developing analysis as a profession. Would you have to sort of outline on the learning path, you know, what's it about and uh, what you hope to achieve? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Happy to. I mean, this is, this, is, this is something that's been very close to my heart for quite some time. And this has really given me the opportunity to to sort of really showcase it, this idea of making it easy for people to access, if they only are given an hour at the end of the week on a Friday to do some learning and development, that they actually use that hour entirely for learning and development and they don't have to waste it going off and basically having to look for, oh, actually, I need to do a bit of R coding. Oh, I need to do a bit of this. Or I'd like to learn more about, you know, how to do a particular analytical skill like forecasting, or et cetera. You know, so this idea was born um, out of the sort of needing to get people upskilled quickly for COVID-19 response was around building the data and analytics learning path, which at its essence is a free curation of introductory material based around, you know, analytical skill area that we've grouped together into skills families to make it easier for people to go, oh, it's going to be in this sort of area. So we've looked at it as like five areas, one of which is like, you know, people who've got sort of consumer style skills who, um, I'm not a data and analyst, but I need to be able to understand and interpret data and analytical uh, sort of products. One of which might be, um, I've got, um, you know, I need to be able to uh, read, a, read a graph really well, understand a visualization or things like that, all the way through to the extremes of we've got people obviously who are working in sort of more data management fields. Um, but, you know, the reality of the job we have these days, it changes so quickly and no one's definition of data analysis is the same. So I might be an analyst in a trust and an analyst in NHS England and an analyst in PHE. And although there will be some core skills that will be the similar same, you know, problem solving abilities and, and how to structure and how to quality assure work, the role will be very, very different. So the idea being able to do, do a bit of self-assessment as part of a tool we've got and then identify areas that you've got skills that you, you aren't using and you should be or skills where you need to sort of to additional training. And the idea being is the learning path then has curated learning material, not yeah. just the theoretical information of how do I get started in this, but also, and how do I then do that in different pieces of software? It's kind of you were saying there's that golden thread to where people yeah. would like to be and where their interest lies. Yeah, exactly. So it's something like, you know, we've built this, a few of us, we've, we've, we've basically um, gone out, worked with different teams on board, them, got the feedback and made changes. It's something that's very much being driven by the 14,000 members of our data and analytics collaboration community. Um, and so it's very much owned by, we're sort of helping to sort of be the curators of it, um, but it will grow over time. And at the moment, obviously we focus on like, you know, some core skill areas at introductory level. What we're wanting to do over time is introduce more advanced material in. So the idea being that that will then support people as they go on to the professionalization of analysis as a profession. And I think that's sort of where that second piece of work comes in. And I'd love to be able to take the credit for it all, but I really can't. I'm just a supporting cog in the wheel of this, of work that, you know, Sarah Colkin from NHSX and um, Sukhmik Panasar from NHS England and Improvement have really kicked off working with some really, really people who are really empowered and, and 
you know, prepared to support developing analysis as a profession, either from, you know, from, from Ronnie Arifin at AFA, all the way through to, you know, people from Public Health England, Health Education England, all of whom we need to come together as people who work in healthcare analysis to basically go, we as a profession deserve to be recognised alongside the same, you know, the, the technical and the scientific professions within within the NHS as being a profession. Because currently we're, you know, we're labelled in as administration. And that doesn't recognise the very unique skills that need to be nurtured and developed and actually recognising us as a profession. And so that's sort of where we've got the developing data analysis as profession boards come out of that all of whom taking on some key challenges responding in as you know some of the challenges we've been we've been we've been set through other people in the organization to provide that guidance out to the system to be able to say you know um let's put some consistency in place about what we're defining as analysis uh, what we're defining as roles that work in this field, and what are the different competency levels? Let's have some, let's have some standardisation in that. So actually, if we can say someone is a, you know, um, a sort of a practitioner level or a, or, a, or a principal level, that means the same thing across organisations. So it makes it easier for people, and it makes it easier for some of those teams that are much smaller than the ones that I work in to actually be able to benchmark, benchmark themselves. And also, therefore, identify where they can go in their career. So many people don't know that actually there are higher levels for them to achieve because they're so focused on the day-to-day. And if they're wanting to progress, if they're wanting to move on in their career, then this provides them, will provide them with a bit of a guide as to where you could go. If you wanted to become, move from being a data analyst into a data scientist, what does that mean? What new skills do I need to develop? And that's where we want to then link the learning path in. So not just what are the new skills I need to develop to move into this area, but also how do I access the training for free that enables me to at least make a start on it? Great news here, isn't it? Great. So on on that learning path work, I mean, we'd encourage people to was it log on to a Future Energy space, wouldn't we? Yes, absolutely. So um, the, the, there's the communities in in the future NHS space. So if you literally go on onto the front page and then search for the the, the data and analytics COVID nineteen community, they'll be able to find. It. I mean, obviously that's how we're referred to at the moment because we're very much have been put in place to respond to to COVID nineteen. But it's been such a powerful community that we're obviously looking to how we keep this going post COVID. Um, provided there is a post-COVID, which we're all obviously hoping for and praying for, um, that, you know, how do we keep this community alive and um, really, really focus on the future for the NHS? Because I think there's a very bright future for data analysis in the NHS. Just look at how important it has been during this pandemic. And I think it's really raised the profile and we need to we need to continue the work on that and, and sort of reinforce that this is just the beginning for us. But I think your story has been quite inspiring in that you took um, perhaps the scenic route. Yes. <laughs> coming coming from government into the NHS and then within the NHS, finding your, your place within your current role. Yeah, I think it's like with anything, it's... It's okay to change your goal. I had a very clear goal when I came into the NHS. 
I originally said I'm going to be a director of um, performance and information within a trust. And that was the goal. And that was the goal for quite a long time as I moved around, gaining experience, moving up the career path. But I think you you then find not just where you might want to go level-wise, but you find your passion. And I think a lot of the, the benefits I've had, I've had some really great coaching. So I think that's something that I would always advocate anyone coming into this career at the very beginning is to sit down and do some coaching work or do some of these coaching exercises that enables you to identify who you are and what are your values. And not just, you know, so take it away from a grade or a role and think about who am I and what do I want to achieve? And one of the things that I got from that is that I need to know that I'm making a difference. So that's really important to me. That's my number one value in my work. Um, And so therefore, once you've sort of got those ideas of what is driving you to make decisions, what is driving you, what makes you feel then you've achieved something, it becomes much easier to plot a career path because there will be some jobs you will automatically go, no, that won't work for me because it's too far removed or I won't be able to see how I'm making a difference or, you know, it, it doesn't fit with, you know, if I've got ambitions around, you know, um, sort of achievement, I need to be the sort of person that's learning new skills all the time or I get bored and frustrated. Then you need to find a career path that will fit with who you are as a person and not necessarily plot it around a really static career grade progression that you know you might have been handed there are different ways of cutting that cake so i think you've answered the question before i've even asked it um um, which was going to be the advice you might give to someone in a similar position to yourself um but i I think one of the biggest takeaways i've 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 heard you talk about is the agility in your career path and your journey the ability to soak up um, experiences and exposure that opens you up to other possibilities as we've talked about um, but anything else you might add to anybody perhaps currently in a role wanting to pivot not knowing where to go to or cu- currently in a in a field and a profession and trying to find their niche within that wider space and I think you've touched on some of them already but if you have yeah, any more points to add I, I do I think one of the things I would always recommend to people is if someone's asking for people to take sort of a new opportunity or something, or you know, even if it might look like, oh, that's going to be a lot of work, volunteer for things. You don't have to stay there. You, you, you know, it's like with anything. It may seem kind daunting, daunting at the time, but try something different because you're only going to realise that something is or isn't for you by trying something different. Um, if especially would recommend to those people who are in that situation of, I really am not sure where I'm going. I'm okay where I am, but I don't know what my next steps are. Because oftentimes you're in a situation whereby your next step might be a sidestep. And until you try something different, you're never going to know that actually that sidestep at that time was the right move for me. I've basically done it quite a lot of my grade. I've been at my grade now for, well, it feels like forever. But I've basically had like two different, sidesteps as a result of this and each time it's helped me narrow the focus on the things I really like you know 
it's that there's every, you know, and it just sort of helps you refine that, refine that. So it then means that when I go for my next role, I'm really specific of what I'm looking for. Um, you know, I know I, I, you know, I've sort of got that really clear idea. And so that would be my biggest advice for people who have, you know, who are unclear about where they want to go. Volunteer for something that's a sidestep from where you are just to try it out just to get involved because if nothing else you will make some fantastic contacts and improve your network that's great right thanks for sharing your insights with myself and toby and our listeners it's really good to hear i think what we've also heard on the call, you know, is kind of, you know, it's a very bright future, I think, for data analytics. Absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned, it's just the beginning. But most importantly, people do need to get involved, you know, volunteer, participate. And, and you know, what you said to us before, I think on an earlier call, is use, it, use your intellectual curiosity to, to drive your motivation. But no, really, really great to have your, your input today. And finally, just thinking... What do you do outside of a very hectic, but I look of it, uh, role in data analytics? What do you do to relax? Well, I, just, well, I, I, um, I have a new dog, so I walk him. Uh, yeah. I liked, I like my walking. I live in Yorkshire for a reason. Um, and other than that, when I, it's too miserable to to go walking. I like to write. I've been creative writing since university. I won't right. tell you where or what because <laughs> I'm a bit bashful about that. Um, and then in the summer, when it's nice, I like to paint. I like to do uh, watercolour landscapes. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, I sort of get a bit... Everyone always jokes, I am incredibly creative for someone who works in a data and analytic field. And I like to remind them I'm just an all-rounder, that's all. It's that balance, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Great, exactly. And lastly, for people who want to follow you, do you know your Twitter handle at all? We could share that with people. Oh, yes, I do. It's at Sarah Blundell 11. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I only I tend to retweet other people's things and I tend to only have it on. I was presenting, hosting at a conference last week. So it was used last Great. week. So we, we hope to see some uh, watercolours coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Not yes. on my Twitter, but <laughs> it's work only, I'm afraid. Wonderful. And thank you for joining the call. That's brilliant. Thank you guys for, thank you. for having me. Pleasure. So I'd like to thank our speaker for joining us today and for everybody else tuning in to this podcast. Uh, Look forward to seeing you in the future.